0: Helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, this is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network, with your host, Paul Engel. The only thing more dangerous than lame ducks are lame ducks just before a major holiday. With the midterm elections mostly complete and a 96% percent reelection rate, the focus of those in Congress appears to have turned to the 2024 election. Now, what better way to gain public approval than to appear to fix a problem that could impact supplies just before Christmas? I wonder, did any of the 221 members of the House who voted for House Concurrent Resolution 119 stop to consider... If they had the constitutional authority to pass it, or was it just easier to railroad the American people into tyranny? Hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. Today, we're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk obviously about the railroad legislation that uh, was passed just last week in the House. As of this recording, the, the Senate hasn't done anything with it yet, but I fully expect they're going to pass it just because of the political makeup of the Senate. But the one thing that people are talking or that are, people are not talking about is—is is this even constitutional? Now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, there's been a an impending railroad strike. Right? There have been negotiations between railroads and multiple unions, and um, well, here we are, beginning of December, and it was still at an impasse, and of course. Everyone was afraid because if if the railroads strike, well, railroads are a major part of our supply chain. Just think about it. Everything that comes in by ship, most of it travels by rail to get to some warehouse where it's then picked up by a truck and delivered to its final destination. I don't know the statistics. I just know that the the railroad's a major part. If the railroads stop, things start to get ugly supply chain-wise. Think of trying to find toilet paper at the beginning of COVID and, well, expand that to just about every product you can think of. So a lot of people were very afraid about what would happen if the the unions and the railroads couldn't come to an agreement. Well, into the mix steps the House of Representatives. And again, We'll say Congress as a whole, because I'm I'm almost assured that the Senate's going to pass this. My prediction is going to be about 53 to 47, but um, that's a prediction. I don't know for sure. And a lot of people are going, there will not be a strike because Congress stepped in. But it makes me wonder, is the cure worse than the disease? Now, the legislation that that, that did this is... House concurrent resolution number 119. Now, this resolution, 119, actually is adjusting the language or fixing the language of a previous joint resolution, House Joint Resolution 100. And that's where I want to start, because that's where we have the, the explanation of why. Now, a reading from uh, uh, Resolution 100, its purpose was to provide a resolution with respect to the unresolved disputes between certain railroads represented by the National Carriers Conference Committee of the National Railroad Labor Conference, and certain of their employees. Oh, so the purpose of this is Congress is going to resolve a labor dispute. Yeah, you've got employees, and you have uh, uh, businesses, and they're working on a, on a uh, they're trying to work on a contract. And there's a dispute, and they're trying to work it out. Uh, Are they doing it in good faith or not? That would depend on who you're talking to, but they are working it out. But the the resolution goes on. says, Whereas the unresolved labor dispute between certain railroads represented by the National Carrier Conference Committee of the National Railroad Labor Conference and their employees represented by certain labor organizations threaten essential transportation services of the United States. Whereas it is in the national interest, including the national health and defense, that essential transportation services be maintained. So let's stop for a second here. This is the the justification, right? If there is a strike, if there's a railroad strike, well yes, yeah, certain essential transportation services of the United States will be impacted. Yeah, everything that ships by rail won't be able to ship by rail. In the question, that, which okay, is it a national interest? I you know I always love when they talk about it. it's in the national interest. How about is it a constitutionally authorized power? See, the fact that it's in the interest of the nation doesn't mean that supersedes the Constitution of the United States. Now again, yes, all right, you know, uh, national defense, and oh my God, what happens? We're not dealing with a situation where the homeland is in peril. What we're really talking about is What happens when uh, You can't get You can't uh, ship materials To uh, different bases Via railroad We haven't even dealt with that So this is their logic Now they they go on to say Whereas pursuant Whereas the President, pursuant to provision of Section 10 of the Railway Labor Act, by Executive Order 14077, created the Presidential Emergency Board Number 250 to investigate investigate the disputes and report findings. Okay, it's I getting a little deep in the weeds, but I want you to follow me. See, when when Congress passed the law, Title 45, United States Code, Section 160. They authorized the president to form emergency boards to investigate certain labor disputes over covered parties, including the railroads. Right, So that's the logic we have here. I, I, I want to make sure we're all following along. Now, uh, reading again, Whereas the recommendation of Presidential Emergency Board 250, issued on August 16, 2020, formed the basis of tentative agreements between all the parties in the disputes. So remember when President Biden said that he'd fix the railroad dispute, the, the, the labor strike, he'd he, he, he dealt with it? That's what he was talking about. A presidential emergency board had a tentative agreement between the parties, except it fell apart. As it goes on, whereas some but not all Of the tentative agreements have been ratified By the union membership and final resolution Of certain disputes between the parties Whereas unresolved disputes Remain between the parties whose tentative Agreements were not ratified by union Membership. Oh, see I guess Biden spoke Too soon, right? His his tentative agreements were not Ratified by the actual members of the union Going on uh, Whereas the recommendation of Presidential Emergency Board 250 Uh, have not resulted in a final resolution of all disputes, whereas all the procedures under the Railway Labor Act Section Title 45 U.S.C. 151 and further procedures agreed to by the parties have been exhausted and have not resulted in a final resolution of all disputes, whereas it is desirable that all such disputes be resolved in a manner which encourages solutions reached through collective bargaining, whereas Congress... Under the Commerce Clause of the Constitution has the authority and responsibility to ensure the uninterrupted operation of essential transportation services. Stop. Why don't you stop right there? The Congress is claiming that under the Commerce Clause, they have the responsibility to make sure that transportation services are not interrupted. Essential, they get to decide what is Essential. And they get to decide, um, you know, how, how best to prevent them from being interrupted. So let's take a look at the Commerce Clause. That is Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3. It says that Congress has the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. Okay. Regulate. Let's look that one up. Right, And I'm using Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Why? Well, because we keep messing with the definition of words, and I want to understand what the people who drafted the Constitution, who debated the Constitution, and who ratified the Constitution were thinking about when they wrote this language. So I go to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and we see three senses. Sense number one is to adjust by rule, method, or established mode. Sense number two is to put in good order. And sense number three is to subject to rules or restrictions. All right, so I think we pretty much understand it's the ability to control, to adjust, to make sure it's orderly and to to subject to certain rules and restrictions. But does that mean Congress has the responsibility to ensure that transportation happens? Because transportation is part of commerce. See, this, to me, has always been the problem with the modern interpretation of the Commerce Clause. There, there, there are two things that, that, that we need to remember. Does regulate mean to regu- to control every aspect of everything that might exist in commerce? And two, when they're talking about are you regulating commerce or are you regulating everything that might pass through commerce? That is the biggest misunderstanding. It, it's the biggest mistake. Most people I, I hear talk about the commerce clause. Just because something passes through interstate commerce does not mean it come. You know, it can be comp- regulated down to the nth degree by Congress. Light bulbs, toilets, but what about transportation? See, they're not. T- the, the, Congress does not have the legal authority To regulate interstate transportation They can regulate interstate commerce But we come back to that question What does it mean to regulate? Now I did a quick search through the the debates In the Continental Congress Most of the debates about commerce Seem to be focused on equity among the states In dealing with foreign commerce And when dealing with commerce between the states It mostly dealt with Things like tariffs and 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 making sure that um, states couldn't pass laws that would advantage them over their neighbors when it came to um, came to things like commerce. But have we gotten to the point now where simply because things travel interstate commerce travels across railroads that Congress has the legal authority to regulate railroads? consider this as well. Congress is not simply regulating railroads. They're not simply saying, this is how you are to participate in interstate commerce. Congress is saying, because you participate in interstate Congress, we claim the authority to tell you how to do business when we think it is important to the nation as a whole. See, if we jump over to uh, Concurrent Resolution 119, We'll see that it, that that there are two issues in the labor negotiations that Congress is going to dictate. Well, actually, there's there's one main one, and that has to deal with sick days. So if we look at, um, at concurrent resolution one hundred and nineteen, and it's going to add language to the uh, concurrent resolution one hundred that says basically um, all employees get seven paid sick days annually. And they cannot uh, be deduct any points, demerits, or have any disciplinary disciplinary citations because of taking sick days. Taking those seven sick days, that seems to be the the big sticking point, And that is the um, what Congress is coming in. There's a dispute between this, these two parties, and Congress simply can come in. We think this is important. We don't want the the railroad shut down just before Christmas, so we're going to decide for you. Now, see, that's interesting. See, that's going beyond regulating commerce. That's regulating labor. It's another part people don't think about. See, the issue here isn't commerce. It isn't how the railroads participate in interstate commerce. It's how they deal with their employees. It's their labor relations. Look all you want. You will not find labor. Man, regulating labor as a power delegated to the United States So what does, what does that mean? Well, Congress has just violated Or at least the House has The Fifth Amendment The Due Process Clause In the Fifth Amendment you said You cannot be deprived of life, liberty, or property Without due process of law Now think about it this way The railroads have property In their employment And in how they go about employing people. The railroads own the jobs. The railroads own the tracks. They own the material. They have a property in the business and in the revenue that it generates. And they have every right to decide for themselves under what conditions they will employ somebody. Oh, Ball, but what about the poor worker? Well, the workers have every right to get together, to join together, and to negotiate voluntarily negotiate in common, which is the other property that has been deprived. The employees have been deprived of the power of collective bargaining. Not completely. But Congress basically said, listen, if you two won't come to a solution, we will, we will do it for you. What if the members of the labor union really want, you know, if seven sick days is not enough? Now, I think... If memory serves, from what I've heard, that uh, this does tend to lean toward the the labor view in the dispute. In other words, labor wanted sick days, and uh, uh, you know, I, I wasn't part of the negotiations. I haven't seen the details, but the people I've heard who've talked about this, how many sick days, whether or not you get sick days, was part of the negotiation. But now, they've lost the ability to negotiate. They've lost the ability to decide for themselves what contract, collective bargaining contract, they will accept. So here you have Congress, it's denying people left and right. And nobody, is, at least nobody I've heard, is talking about that. Perhaps it's because we don't read and study the Constitution, that we don't th- realize when Congress is simply using a railroad lab- labor dispute to help railroad us into tyranny, into the control. Of every aspect of our life. And there's a cost for that. But I'm going to deal with that after the break. Before I go, though, are you tired of being tired? You want to fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep better so you can wake up refreshed? Well, Healthy Cell has the product for you. It's called REM Sleep. It is the only sleep supplement designed to support all four stages of sleep it's an available in a travel ready gel pack. It's easy to use. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off whatever is in your first order. Just go to healthycell.com and use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. So again, go to healthycell.com, check out REM sleep, check out any of Healthy Cell's products. Just make sure you use that code OutLOUD at checkout. It lets them know you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, you get 25% off your first order.
1: I can tell you, one of the greatest pathophysiologic drivers for tiredness and fatigue during the day is poor quality sleep at night. People always focus on how long they slept, but they never think about the quality. And to improve the quality, there's a terrific product, that's the Healthy Cell REM Sleep Supplement. And what I tell friends and family and patients is take it every night consistently. Uh, it comes in a, continue, a, a convenient bioabsorbable gel pack. Uh, take it right before you go to bed. Take the gel pack, brush your teeth, go to bed. Its effects are nearly instantaneous. And patients get a well-rested sleep continuously, day after day, week after week, month after month. And then that daytime tiredness and fatigue melts away when there's a greater restful sleep the night before. So give it a try. Go to... Uh, HealthyCell.com and in the promotional code, type in out loud for 20% off your order. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio.
2: Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. The spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America out loud. We are the voice of a nation, the American nation, that is. This is Malcolm Out Loud. I invite you back to AmericaOutLoud.com, where the fight for liberty and justice continues. America Out Loud Talk Radio.
0: Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. Today, we're talking about being railroaded into tyranny. And as I went into the break, I mentioned, you see, there's a cost for letting Congress and the government as a whole to simply take over more and more and more of our lives. I recently wrote an article about this, talking about the cost of our constitutional literacy. So let, let me read that to you here. Here at the Constitution Study, we spend a lot of time discussing the legal and societal costs of ignoring the Constitution. Have you ever considered the financial cost though? Sure, we all complain about the size of government, usually around tax season. Of the trillions of dollars spent every year though, how much is spent on unconstitutional government agencies and programs? Let's take some time and look at the 2023 budget for the government of the United States, see how much is being spent on these agencies that do not legally exist, and consider the cost of our lack of constitutional literacy. I don't know anyone who enjoys creating a budget. It's boring, tedious, and generally frustrating. However, as a much younger man, I learned the importance of knowing where the money was coming from and where it was going. So while it may not be fun, budgeting is an important part of fiscal responsibility, which perhaps explains why the federal government is so bad at it. The other problem I see with understanding federal spending is the fact that most people don't deal with large numbers very well. Telling someone a car costs $50,000 is one thing. Telling them it'll cost $1,000 a month, though, and they seem to do a better job of deciding if they can afford it or not. Now, with these two limitations in mind, I want to take a look at the 2023 federal budget and see if we can't make some sense of what our employees are doing with our money. Before we discuss dollars, though, I need to make some sense about government spending. There are two clauses in the Constitution that we need to understand before we dive into the money. First is Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1, which reads, The Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States, but all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. The first thing we need to understand is that Congress can only legally collect taxes to do three things. First, pay the debts of the United States. Second, provide for the common defense of the United States. Third, provide for the general welfare of the United States. That's a capital U and a capital S, making it a proper noun. It's the very same proper noun used in the second clause we need to understand, the Tenth Amendment, which reads, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. Unless a power is delegated to the United States by the Constitution, it doesn't belong to it. I know it sounds simple, but it's the general misunderstanding of these two clauses that leads to so many of the problems in the federal government. According to Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1, unless Congress is paying the debts, providing for the common defense, or the general welfare of the Union called the United States, they're not allowed to fund it with taxes, duties, imposts, or excises. And since these different forms of taxes are the only way Congress has of collecting money, it means they cannot legally pay for these things. By now, some of you are asking, but what is the general welfare of the United States? Well, the name United States was given to the Union of States in the Articles of Confederation. Article 1 reads, The style of this confederacy shall be the United States of America. Now, the word style, S-T-I-L-E, was another spelling of the word style, S-T-Y-L-E. Now, among the many senses of that word, we find title or appellation. So the Confederacy of States formed in 1776 was titled the United States of America. This title was retained when the new union was formed under the Constitution in 1787. Why is this important? Because the General Welfare Clause does not give power to Congress to collect taxes on anything they think is generally beneficial. James Madison made this point while debating the Cod Fisheries Bill in 1792, where we read... It is to be recollected that the terms common defense and general welfare, as here used, are not novel terms first introduced in this constitution. They are terms familiar in their construction and well-known to the people of America. They are repeatedly found in the old Articles of Confederation, where, although they are susceptible of as great a latitude as can be given them by the context here, it was never supposed or pretended that they conveyed any such power as is now assigned to them. On the contrary, it was always considered clear and certain that the old Congress was limited to the enumerated powers and that the enumeration limited and explained the general terms. If Congress can employ money indefinitely to the general welfare and are the sole and supreme judges of the general welfare, they may take the care of religion into their own hands. They may appoint teachers in every state, county, and parish and pay them out of their public treasury. They may take into their own hands the education of children, establishing in like manner schools throughout the Union. They may assume the provision of the poor. They may undertake the regulation of all roads other than post roads. In short, everything from the highest object of state legislation down to those minute object of police would be thrown under the power of Congress, for every object I have mentioned would admit of the application of money and might be called, if Congress pleased, provisions for the general welfare." The Constitution is very specific. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 limits Congress to collecting taxes for the general welfare of the United States, not the several states, nor the people. It should be quite obvious that this power is applicable only to the central government and the property it owns, not that it has been much of a hindrance to Congress in the past. Furthermore, since the Tenth Amendment limits the power of the United States to those delegated to it by the Constitution, Congress cannot claim the authority to do anything outside of those limited and enumerated powers. I want to focus on federal spending rather than the federal budget. The reason is quite simple. Budgets can easily be manipulated. for example, the federal government's 2023 budget is approximately $6.1 trillion. But according to USAspending.gov, a look at the budget resources by agency adds up to over $11 trillion. Remember when I said most people don't process large numbers very well? Trillions are very large numbers. A trillion is a thousand billion, or a million millions, but that probably doesn't help very much. Consider this. If you were to start counting seconds, it would take you over 31,000 years to count to a trillion seconds. Or if you were to stack a trillion dollars in $100 bills, the stack would be over 630 miles tall which is more than twice as high as the International Space Station. Now, if all that seems overwhelming, consider this. There are approximately 330 million people in America today. If you were to divide $1 trillion equally across all of the American people, that means everyone would receive approximately $3,000 each. Turn that around, and you would see that if we were to pay for the federal budget equally, each American would be responsible for over $18,000. Compare that to the budgetary resources for the federal agencies, and we see that each American is responsible for over $33,000. And that's just for federal spending. Which brings me back to the original question. What is the cost of our constitutional illiteracy? I took the spending information on usaspending.gov and broke down the agencies into those that are exercising powers delegated to the United States, those that are definitely not, and those that might be. USAspending.gov lists 108 individual agencies. Care to guess how many are exercising powers definitively delegated to the United States? Twelve. That's right, only 12 of the 108 agencies listed in USAspending.gov are definitely exercising powers delegated to the United States. Another 15 are possibly exercising powers delegated to the United States, but are most likely going far beyond that authority. What are the costs of these 27 agencies? Again, according to usaspending.gov, the 12 legitimate agencies cost about $4.3 trillion, and the 15 agencies that may be exercising legitimate powers, another $485 billion, for a grand total of approximately $4.8 trillion each and every year, which happens to be the revenue the federal government brought in during fiscal year 2022 which leaves us with the 800-pound gorilla, or in this case, the $6 trillion gorilla in the room. The remaining 81 departments have an almost $6.5 trillion in budgetary resources. That means almost 60% of the federal spending goes to departments that are not authorized by the Constitution. Now, With the national debt at over $31 trillion, just think what a difference it would make if the federal government only spent money on what it was legally authorized to. There is, though, a more fundamental problem than the money. As the Tenth Amendment states, powers not delegated to the United States don't belong to it. Yet Congress passed legislation to create these departments, even though they are not authorized by the Constitution. What does that mean? According to Chief Justice Marshall in the Barbary v. Madison case, Certainly all those who have framed written constitutions contemplate them as forming the fundamental and paramount law of the nation. And consequently, the theory of every such government must be that an act of the legislature repugnant to the Constitution is void. And if Chief Justice Marshall is correct, and an act of the legislature repugnant to the Constitution is void, then the acts of Congress that created these agencies are also void. Therefore, these agencies do not legally exist. And if these agencies do not legally exist, then any money appropriated for them was done fraudulently. We call that embezzlement. So what is the actual cost of our constitutional illiteracy? Yes, it's over six trillion dollars of money embezzled from the American people each and every year. It is also the volumes of rules and regulations all considered to have the force of law even though they come from an agency that does not legally exist. Probably the most damaging cost of our constitutional illiteracy is the position of servitude to the federal government the American people have assumed. Of all the things we give up because we won't read and study the Constitution, our liberty seems to be of the greatest value. As Samuel Adams said, The liberties of our country, the freedom of our civil constitutions, are worth defending at all hazards, and it is our duty to defend them against all attacks. We have received them as a fair inheritance from our worthy ancestors. They purchased them for us with toil and danger and expense of treasure and blood and transmitted them to us, with care and diligence. Now that we know the cost of our constitutional literacy, will you join me in doing something about it? While the problem may seem daunting, the solution is simple. Every member of the state ought diligently to read and study the Constitution of his country and teach the rising generation to be free. You can find out more about that quote from Mr. J, along with finding tools and other people to help by visiting the Constitution Study at constitutionstudy.com. If you have any questions, you can ask them there. I hope this will be the first step you take to start rectifying not only any constitutional illiteracy you may have, but reducing their costs as well. So, as I pointed out, the fiscal cost, the monetary cost of our constitutional literacy, our unwillingness to, to learn what the Constitution actually allows Congress to do, is quite high. But it's only a part of the cost just think of how much of your life is regulated by laws from by rules from agencies that don't legally exist or by laws from Congress that don't have that are void because well they're made repugnant to the constitution and before you say well the supreme court said look at the constitution the supreme court is not the supreme law of the land the constitution is and yes the supreme court gets the constitution wrong frequently and I can prove it every time a federal court says, well, you know, you have a right, but there's some government interest. Every time they place a government interest above a right protected by the Constitution, they're violating the law. And it's proof that they don't know what the Constitution says. It shouldn't surprise you. It's based on my, granted, non-scientific studies, um, most people in law school, law schools do not teach the Constitution. I've asked lawyers for hmm, three years now, three and a half. When you were in law school, did you study the Constitution or constitutional law? I've had one man tell me he studied the Constitution, which means most of the judges were one, who were once attorneys, and most of those attorneys, and oh, by the way, don't forget most of the politicians who went to law school, they never studied the Constitution they study what judges said about the Constitution. And they get away with it because, well, the American people are generally ignorant about the Constitution. They don't recognize when their representatives, their employees in Congress, are doing something wrong. And every time we, the people, sit back while Congress creates another illegal agency and we then submit to its regulations, we pay the price. Well, for example, um... In a court case, the CDC was finally forced to release data they've collected about the COVID-19 quote unquote vaccinations. Understand, they're not legally vaccinations. They they the CDC calls them vaccinations, even though they're not they don't meet the legal data. What they found though is that one in three of the people who got the earliest versions of the vaccine reported that they needed medical care, missed school or work or were unable to perform normal daily activities. One in three, one-third of this supposedly safe and effective quote-unquote vaccine ha- has serious negative impacts. But, see, that's not, that. That if that's the bad news, the worst news is, for the last two years, the CDC has been covering this up. They've done everything they can to keep this data from the public and only released it when they were forced to under- Court order. Now, I want you to consider this because in two minutes I can prove to you that the CDC does not legally exist. Again, Article 6, Clause 2, the Supremacy Clause, says the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Only laws of the United States made pursuant to the Constitution are also the supreme law of the land. The Tenth Amendment says a power not delegated to the United States doesn't belong to it. So if there's not a power in the Constitution that says Congress can do this, that, that this is a power of the United States Congress can't make this law Well, people say, well, what about the General Welfare Clause? Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 says Congress can tax For, among other things, the general welfare of the United States Capital U, capital S, proper noun Same proper noun in the Tenth Amendment uh, What about the, the Commerce Clause? Well, we were talking about that Does that mean that Congress gets to regulate everything in the, That might pass through interstate commerce? Or that they can regulate the actual commerce itself? the cdc doesn't regu- doesn't deal with uh, interstate commerce it deals with products in commerce and last and lastly with necessary and proper clause well since the, the 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 clause article 1 section 8 clause 18 says that um, congress can pass all laws necessary and proper for putting into effect the powers delegated to the united states since this is not a power delegated to the united states it is neither necessary nor proper for congress to have created this law yet this agency still exists and it released it and it collected data and it failed to release this data and we the people just hired 96 percent of those who keep funding the cdc 96 percent of them we voted to keep now you understand the true cost of our constitutional literacy Now, there's more, and I want to get to that, but I have to take another break. Before I do, please go to AmericaOutloud.com. In fact, go there daily to find out the latest news and happenings. You can get information from multiple points of view, but it's important that you do your part as well. Share those stories, the articles, the podcasts, the videos. Help others find out what's going on so that we can all work together to secure the blessings of liberty.
2: on either FALKER with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything.
1: Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers.
0: Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You rejoined the Constitution study, and today I'm showing how we're being railroaded into tyranny. So you think about uh, unrestrained government power? Without a check and balance on the powers of the federal government, not only does it obtain more power, but people begin to use that power for their own advancement. Well, for example, there are some emails that have been obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request by uh, an organization called Protect the Public's Trust, and what they found is that uh, remember the National School Board Association, yeah, the ones that uh, supposedly contacted the White House and and referred to parents that that disagreed with them and or at least argued with them in in school board meetings were. Um, Potential terrorists Yeah, Well they didn't do it on their own See They actually worked With the White House To write, they coordinated with the White House To write that letter it, It's like Oh boy, they. it wasn't simply Biden and and, and uh, Garland Going, oh look at this terrible thing We must do something about it No, 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 they were part of drafting The letter Letter that compared concerned parents with Domestic terrorists. But it's not just, you know, the National School Board Association. Look at how we react to things. I've talked before about um, congressmen, both members of the House and of the Senate, that uh, think they have to solve every problem. Well, I found this article at the Federalist. Now, uh, you may agree with the Federalist, you may not. Some of their stuff I found to be very good. But what I found interesting is they have a 12 point plan. For Congress to deal with the problem in the, the the COVID problem in the pharmaceutical industry, what they call Big Pharma. So I want you to think about that for a second. They want to control the evils of that Big Pharma committed under COVID nineteen. Of course, where's the self reflection? How about the evils that Congress did during the COVID nineteen pandemic? you know things like uh uh shutting down or i should say uh funding the shutdowns of so many of our cities and states paying people to not work uh about how about not overseeing the the CDC and the FDA to make sure they remained even even though their their existence is illegal how would you at least make sure they remained on task and what about the rest of the federal government what about about biden um you know and and his vaccine mandates. What about the CDC and their uh um their uh, uh, eviction moratorium? Yeah, there's a lot of th- problems that we that I can see in the pharmaceutical industry. But how about the fact that Congress made many of these problems, or at least contributed to many of these problems? So going back to the Federalist Article and looking at what they're doing in many cases. They're asking Congress to just make more problems. Now, some okay, they they want them to reimpose the ban on direct-to-consumer pharmaceutical advertising. Not sure how that's going to stop the, uh, uh, the the COVID issue because remember Congress is the ones that was paying for all the the quote unquote vaccines and all the treatments. They talk about uh, prohibiting pharmaceutical companies from contributing to campaigns. To political campaigns I don't think Congress has the ability to restrict Their, their ability to uh, to Interact with, uh, uh, with Their elected representatives They want to prohibit State medical boards, associations And medical journals Anyone that accepts state or federal funds From accepting money from pharmaceuticals Again um, Congress has no authority over state medical boards Or associations, no legal authority over Medical journals How about we just stop giving them federal money Because it's not legal for Congress to fund this type of research And it goes on and on and on We are being railroaded into tyranny Because not even the people that claim to be uh, supporting the Constitution Want Congress to violate the Constitution Because they're mad at the bad actions of the pharmaceutical company Or how about another act of the legislature that's right, our good old friend uh, Jerry Nadler is at it again He submitted what's called the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act And the idea basically is we don't, you know we, You've got Congress telling companies how they should deal with employees that are pregnant Now, are some of these reasonable? Yeah I believe it should be that a business, if it was smart, would make reasonable accommodations to the limitations related to pregnancy and childbirth. Um, but is it Congress's authority to dictate what that is? See, it's not a question of is it a good idea, is it a constitutional idea? Does Congress, where in the Constitution is Congress given the authority to regulate discrimination against pregnant people? Uh, the answer is it's not. Where is it Congress giving the authority to regulate employment? The answer is it's not. So even though some of the things here would be how I would want to treat an employee who was pregnant, yeah, make reasonable accommodations. Um, but again, now we want Congress to come in in a one size fits all. See, I, I the well of the way there, the, the, that uh, it shall be unlawful employment Practice for a covered entity to not make reasonable accommodations To the known limitations related to pregnancy, childbirth Or related medical conditions What is reasonable? It's one of those words, and again, it's used in the Constitution But it's one of those words, what is reasonable? See, what may be reasonable for, say, a Facebook or an IBM May not be feasible for a mom-and-pop shop how do you define reasonable? how do you find qualified employee right that's also a term in here there's a reason why we don't we when we created this country we didn't create a one-size-fits-all government so even though the Tenth Amendment says that that Congress that the United States only has the powers delegated to it by the by the Constitution, if we don't enforce it what good is that? If we don't keep our elected representatives to their oath to support the Constitution, what good is it? And as we watch as, as, at least over my lifetime, the size of government has grown, their influence has grown, they've simply assumed powers because someone thought it would be a good idea. I've watched freedom and liberty crumble. I've watched while the American people were railroaded into bailing out first a car company, then banks, but only the banks that, that were favored by government. And this is for the the problem they had that were instigated, or at least coerced, in many cases, by the very same Congress that railroaded us into paying for their for their own mistakes. I've watched the American people, the railroaded into giving up a, diso- a choice about what type of car they can drive, what, how much gas mileage they need to get, what type of light bulbs they can use, what kind of toilets they can use. Being railroaded into uh, giving up our ability to choose certain lines of work without government approval. I've seen us railroaded into giving up control of our healthcare, to, lit- to effectively socializing our uh, healthcare system. First, with the Affordable Care Act that turned out to be not very affordable, but the ongoing effect of we've so bureaucratized the, the medical system that it's the government that's making most of the decisions about medical care, acceptable medical care. Just look at COVID. How many people were not able to, to try ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine because a government bureaucrat said no? How many people were railroaded into sticking an injection in their arm or a stick up their nose because, or, or a mask on their face because a government bureaucrat said so? See, all of that is railroading us into tyranny. Railroading into giving up the freedom to fly on an airplane without being groped or molested or otherwise investigated, run through a porno scanner at the airport. We've been railroaded to give up our rights bit by bit by bit. And I'm wondering if we're coming to the end of the line of freedom and liberty in America. Now, don't get me wrong. This is still the greatest country in the world. We have more freedom than everybody else. But that's a relative term. What's the old saying? The journey of a thousand miles begins with but a step. Well, if you take that step, yes, you are closer to your goal, but you're still 999 miles, 999 some odd feet away. See, the problem isn't that we are not freer than everybody else, it's that everybody's freedom is being diminished and decreased. And if you want to see what our future looked like, think of how often we're told we need to be more like Europe. More like Europe. We need European socialized medicine. We need European top-down control. We need European-style economics. Well, the industry chief of the European Union warned Elon Musk that they may ban Twitter from the EU states unless he adheres to what they refer to as strict Content moderation policies. Censorship. The EU is saying, listen, you know, if you don't follow our rules on censorship, we'll boot you out. Now, do the members of the European Union have the right to regulate the uh, people who do business in those countries? Well, yeah. See, they don't have our constitution. The European constitution is this bloated, legalistic, uh, illegal ease. Mess of a document And it doesn't have The same freedom of speech Protections that we do here But that's our future How would you like it if the Federal government says no we're going to kick Twitter Out because you won't Censor content the way We like See the EU Wants social media Including Twitter to aggressively root out Disinformation Yeah Information the government doesn't want. See, it's not just America that's being railroaded into tyranny. The entire world is being railroaded into tyranny, and we just seem to be going along for the ride. It's like an old Western movie where the, the train is out of control, the conductor's dead or falling off the train, and it's going full speed to a cliff. And there's a sign there saying, you know, track end, stop. But the train keeps going We're ignoring all the warning signs That we are headed to disaster That we're heading to an end Of freedom and liberty Not just in the United States But in the entire world We're sitting there We're watching people saying You know, uh, was it Klaus Schwab China should be our role model How about uh, Was it Joe Biden Oh no, that China stuff is great wasn't that anything Fauci that said China had a great way of dealing with COVID? Is that how you want to live? The signs are all there. But we're just sitting in the back of the train, waiting for it to go over the cliff. We seem unwilling to do anything about it. What can we do? How about you start by getting off the train? You remember, John Jay said that every member of the state ought diligently to read and study the Constitution of his country Teach the rising generation to be free. That by knowing their rights, they will sooner perceive when they are violated be the better prepared to defend and assert them. Now, we can't get off the United States. Where else are you going to go? There's no place freer. But because of the unique structure of the United States, where it is a union of sovereign states, we can get our states to be more free. Throw the brakes on the train. At least... The cars that that are the United States. How do you get the states to do that? You start at your county, at your city, at your local level. You start by educating yourself and your neighbors about the Constitution, what it says, the powers that you retain. Not that you're given, that you retain. That includes, as the Declaration of Independence says, the right To alter or abolish a government That becomes destructive of your rights They may call it insurrection They may call it seditious conspiracy They may even call it a revolution I call it justice If a government is created to protect our rights Refuses to do so It's time to get rid of it I prefer to alter it peacefully At the ballot box Via peaceful protests Than to have it Left to our only other option That is by the gun The choice is ours The future Is our children's But the choice Is ours Will we do what we can To if not stop the train At least slow it down Maybe you can't stop the train In fact I guarantee you can't stop the train But we can slow it down by learning our rights Learning how to defend them And learning how to assert them And then teaching others to do so as well See if you do it in your county And I do it in my county Pretty much we start changing our states And as more and more states Start slamming on the emergency brake And says, wait a second The United States you are not allowed to do that We did not authorize it No But well, we can slow down the train Sure the rest of the world May go over the cliff But as your mother probably told you when you were a child, if all your friends were to jump off a cliff, would you jump as well? Will you be railroaded into serfdom, into slavery? Or will you do what you can to slow things down? Not just for yourself, but for your children and for your children's children. And while you're at it, we invite others to join us here Every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time On America Out Loud Talk Radio Heard on the iHeartRadio network We tell people they can listen On our apps or Apple, Android, or Alexa Or right on the webpage We remind them that they can hear The Constitution Study on podcast. Our episodes usually come out a day or two After they're heard on the radio Just find your favorite podcast app And you can find the Constitution Study But to be a favor: remind them Subscribe, rate the show Help expose this level of information Let other people know Let other people see Let other people find out You can find all the links At the homepage of AmericaOutloud.com But it is more important than ever To share them To share this information The episode The links The stories The articles Because this train Is not going to stop all by itself It'll only stop when we together start applying the brakes that we legally have under the Constitution of the United States. And by sharing that information, you do your part to help all of us secure the blessings of liberty to everyone in this great beacon of light in a world of darkness that everyone from sea to shining sea can live free and that the rest of the world has a place to go to when their railroad to tyranny runs off the cliff.